Welcome everyone back to another episode of the GTM Kickback, the number one go-to-market leadership interview and strategy podcast in the world. That's a real fact, Justin. I don't think I told you that one. It's a niche category, but we're, we're ruling it. We're back with another fantastic guest that's graced us with a little bit of time. Triple J, Mr. Justin J. Johnson. How are you doing? Thanks for joining. Good, man. Thanks so much for having me. I, I'm, I'm very excited now that I know I'm on the number one GTM podcast in the world. So pressure's yeah. on. <laughs> it is, man. Pressure's on. Big stuff. Big stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk to you, man. You've got a very, a very strong and impressive background in the world of go-to-market and revenue leadership inside the SaaS ecosystem. You've built teams, you've built high-performing cultures, you've led some really cool people. And one of your reps, I think maybe two or three of them, if they like, all were commenting on my posts saying, you have to get Justin on. <laughs> so I, I think that's very indicative of the type of culture that you lead and people love you, man. I mean, they seem to be shouting for their afternoon about you, which, which is cool people on your team, which is always a clear indicator of success in a lot of different ways. But we're here to talk about sort of our macro topic being building top performing sales cultures from the ground up and how you've implemented some of the pillars of success into your own sales organizations and some methodologies that you have sort of surrounding that. You want to give us a quick background and introduction. Hopefully I, I put the good grace on that, but walk us through who's Justin J. Johnson, where you're doing right now and what makes you acutely qualified to tell us about building sales cultures. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to dig in. This is something I'm passionate about. You know, currently right now, I'm the chief revenue officer of a company called FitGrid. We're a software provider that works with boutique fitness studios, help them build better relationships to drive the bottom line. You know, my, my career in sales started a couple decades ago where I actually got my first at bat you know, pitching donations for the Salvation Army as a seven-year-old outside of Walmart. That was my first go around in sales. Then I went through hell and back through some personal adversity that I'm happy to chat about. Uh, then stumbled into sales, really, um, really cut my teeth in tech at Salesforce, worked through the ranks with massive imposter syndrome. And it was very fortunate to be surrounded by great people and been at a couple of different companies leading sales and revenue organizations ever since. And it's been a great journey, lots of highs, lots of lows, but most importantly, lots of learnings you know, about what works and what doesn't when it comes to performing well and building good teams. So let's dig in. Yeah, man, let's talk just about it. Tell me where's this passion for building teams come from and what are your overall methodologies when it comes to implementing or building like a high-performing sales culture like you've done in the likes of Bitgrid and others? Yeah, a lot of times for me, and you know, I'm assuming most people are like this, a lot of times you realize what you want more based not off of what you actually want versus what you don't want. So when I think about a culture that I wanted to be a part of, it always started with, well, what do I hate? What are the things that I didn't want to be in a, a part of the culture? And I'll, you know, I'll tell you a, a personal story that really helped shape my lens on what makes a leader that I wouldn't want to run through a wall for, which is ultimately my goal. I was working with this leader and we're at the end of the quarter, we had this critical deal that was you know, in my best case, 
if I would have done it, it would have made the team's number, made my number for the quarter and jump on the call with the economic buyer. And long story short, the deal pushed. And you know, I felt terrible about this. You know, as a rep, you know, because obviously I, you know, I want to hit my number and find a way. But there was two days left. So it was essentially, hey, you know, this isn't this isn't gonna work. And my my boss at the time was on the call with me. And when we hung up, I said, I'm really sorry that I let you and the team down. Because the first thing I said, because I felt terrible. And his response was, Well, it's on you to you know, solve this. Go, you know, find that money. Versus, hey, I hear you. Like, let's work together, let's partner to see if there's stuff that we can find to fill the gap. But that that gut reaction that from this leader of, hey, you're on your own, basically told me that he didn't care about me at all. And I wanted to build a culture that was high performance. But it was more than just the numbers. It was helping to challenge people to just be better human beings. Like when I think about high performance organizations, a high performance organization isn't an organization that hits quota. I think that's a that's a skilled organization, but a high performance organization is is made up of high performance people. And high performance people aren't just great at their job. They're well-rounded. So that's how I like to think about building teams, how I think about my frameworks, which I'm happy to chat about, which is how I think about the culture in general. It's ultimately comes down to is, can I help you live a better life, right? And that's my end goal when I'm building organizations. So that when people look back five years from now, 10 years from now, you know, because let's be real, people don't, sign up for the Rolex anymore. They don't stay till retirement. It's not the world that we're in. So my goal is when someone looks back five years from now, 10 years from now, they could say, I'm fundamentally better because of my experience working on this team. So that's how I like to think about it, but also what stemmed my thought process of. Yeah, it's almost about things that were lacking from yeah. the people that were supposed to be giving you guidance, right? And you don't want anyone else to feel that same way. Yeah, I mean, it's that and too. Like, I'm the youngest of five boys. I'm the first one for my family to graduate college. Only one for my family and extended family to be in corporate America. And I, you know, I grew up in construction. So I didn't have anyone to show me the way of how to navigate this thing. So I was flying yeah. blind at all times. And was just so hungry for information, but I didn't know where to look. And like, when I think about what I do now to help others on my team and even outside of my team, all I'm doing is just being the person that I would have wanted in my life 10 years ago. That's, that's all I'm trying to be, you know? So, and it's, and it's fun doing it that way. Yeah. I love that. It's humbling. Let me play devil's advocate a little bit. I think I hear some mixed, mixed methodologies or thoughts on methodologies around, you know, uh, change and growth comes through adversity a lot of the time. Uh, and it sounds like you got to where you are because you had to figure it out on your own anyways, right? And you got to be successful without having that support line. What makes you not want other people to have to go through that? Kind of like the tough love methodology, or maybe you do implement that, but I'm sure there's there's a line of forcing people to figure it out on their own, right? Because that's a yeah. a, a growth path for them as opposed yeah. to just neglecting them. Do you know where that line is? 
if if I knew I I would I would have 20 books written about this thing by now. <laughs> true, uh, true, true. If, What's your gauge on it then? Yeah, maybe not talking in, in absolutes. Yeah, I mean, for first it starts in, in the interview process, right? Does this person have a, a foundation of the right intangibles? What what I look for is I mean, has this person been through adversity and come out on top? Right. I mean, you know, definitely not unscathed, but have they been through some stuff? You know, I went through hell as a kid. You know, I almost died. I've had you know, dozens of surgeries. And you know, that created a, a lot of adversity in my life for, for years. And that helped really shaped my lens. Not everyone, you know, needs to have a near-death experience. Don't get me wrong, but I do look for you know, that grit and that process because that's something that's very difficult to teach, especially when we think about the employee markets that we're in right now. And like I said, people don't stick around for five, 10 years where you really have the time to shape and mold. You know, it's really what can you do you know, quickly and, you know, for us? And then also what can we do for you quickly? So that's how I like to think about the balance. Like do they at least have a foundation of some of these intangibles that I can work with as well as the skill set that I can yeah. work with as well. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, let's talk about your methodologies and sort of your pillars for growth that you're trying to install and into these sales cultures. Tell me your workflow there. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing, the first thing that I think about when I've come into a culture is do they have a culture right? or do they have values or pillars that they live by? That's, that's number one. And if they do, are those the right ones? When I, when, when I came into FitGrid, one of the first things that I work to do is establish our pillars or values. And you wanted to have them simple. And I wanted to have them ingrained in our processes so that it wasn't just words on the wall, right? It was something that we lived and breathed every day. So our pillars are execute, evolve, celebrate. That's it. Execute means control. What's well, 100% in your control. Evolve means everyone should be getting better every single day. And that starts with me and celebrate, enjoy the journey, enjoy the journey. Cause otherwise you'll burn out and you'll forget what you're fighting for. So that's number one is establishing simple pillars and then building frameworks to live them every day. So I'll give you an example of you know, execution. I mean, that's you know, naturally a lot simpler for go-to-market leaders to see because there's so much technology that can help you see are the right inputs being done, activities, preparation, right? discovery, how they're doing it, you know, you do film review, all those things help aid you in, in coaching against the execution. On the, on the evolved piece, you know, we have weekly film reviews with everyone that's on our team. We have you know, assessment guides for all aspects of you know, someone's role so that they get objective feedback as much as they can. So that's you know, part of our DNA. And I have my leaders with KPIs around doing that every week. So everyone's getting coached. And then celebrate, we start and end every week with gratitude. Gratitude for each other on the team to keep us connected in a remote environment. Gratitude for folks in other departments because you know, we don't operate on an island. We need everyone in the business to be successful. And then most importantly, gratitude for ourselves. You got to be, you got to, you got to you know, pat yourself on the back once in a while because we work really hard. And even if you, you don't have a killer week on the dashboard, 
there's still always something to, to celebrate. So that's how, yeah. that's how we, we celebrate, or I mean, that's how we live those pillars on a daily, weekly basis at, at FitGrid at least. How do you judge your success in building a high performance culture like this or a happy culture, right? Like, are you looking at retention rates? Are you looking at the stability of reps and like the billings or quota attainments? What are like your actual metrics or KPIs around it? Yes, yes, and yes, right? We, we look at metrics, we look at performance, we look at the numbers, you know, but we also look at the things that are nuanced and softer, softer to measure. For example, you know, if reps mean person for the first time, are they shaking hands? Or are they hugging each other? Right? That's something that I look at because that goes to connection, right? Are people, do they genuinely care about one another? You know, when people share gratitude on a weekly basis, are they being genuine with their gratitude or are they checking their boxes? Right? Those are things that we look at. So, you know, so there's on the dashboard and then off the dashboard that we look at because you know, in a remote environment and, and we have a new small team, everyone's got to buy in. Everyone's got to buy in. And we, and you, if we ever identify a cancer, that cancer gets cut out pretty quickly. Yeah, that's smart. Um, how do you build it from the ground up people-wise? You talked a bit about your interview process, but how do you define the criteria for someone that's going to be a good culture fit? How do you qualify that? Or even how do you find those people and then qualify that and then recruit them and incubate them into your business, right? Because everyone's slightly different. No one's going to be a perfect match. They kind of got to adopt, I'm sure, some things. How do you make that seamless? A great, a great question. When I think about you building a team from let's let's start with building a team from scratch. First, it comes down to being clear on what you need and the roles. What are the need to haves and what are the nice to haves in terms of skills and expertise? So that's that's step one. You should be doing that before you're doing any interviewing. So that's, that's number one. Then once you do that, what I like to do because you know I've been in you know, on small teams where we haven't had you know, a big on staff recruiting team. You know, it's usually on me and my leaders. So what I like to do is I like to, I like to zig when other people zag. And what I mean by that is everyone's going to target the big tech logos, the sexier companies. I intentionally do not try to recruit from those companies at all. I actually, uh, when I'm, when I'm hiring people that are a little bit more junior in their career, I don't like hiring from tech. I like hiring people from other industries that are known for the requirement to really grind to be successful. Because again, I, I can't really teach grit and grind. You know, I can help you shape that. I can help you work smarter. I can help you take that grind to you know, another level in terms of what you get out of your hard work. But I, I can't teach that foundational, nor do I have the, the, the time to do so. So I try to target companies that, and industries that, that aren't as sexy, but are known for having pretty good training programs and, and they, they are tough to be successful. So that's a little bit of my sourcing strategy. And then we get into the process. We spend just as much time assessing their skills, their hard skills, as well as their soft skills, digging into their values as a human being. Does it align with our company? Do they, are they competent enough? from a skills perspective to do all aspects of the role that they're being hired for. They don't need to crush it, but because 
if they crushed it, they probably wouldn't be interviewing for this role in the first place. Like you said, can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. So are they competent enough for us to polish? But the most important thing is, can I sense hunger? Can I sense grit? Can I sense intelligence? And those are the things that I really try to look for in building people. And part of what I do is, as a gut check to the process, is I'm radically transparent with people. I've, I've been lied to in interview processes before. And like I said earlier, with building cultures, I just do, don't want to have other people experience that I experienced. So I, I tell people the good, the bad, the ugly of what they're signing up for. I, I the last thing I want someone to do is show up on day one and say, what the hell did I just sign up for? Cause I had that happen to me and that's terrible. So I'm very brutally honest with people up front of what it really will take to be successful and what the difficulties are and make sure that they're excited about that. You know, it's not for everybody. Right? There's no hard feelings in that. So the combination of all of those things really help us try to build a team that is bought into our culture, you know, our foundational elements so that we can build off of. I love that last piece too. And just to echo it as recruitment consultant for a lot of these enterprise software sales organizations, I get visibility into the, you know, the growth stages, the hirings, the firings, et cetera, inside these businesses. And the number one thing that creates an unsuccessful sales culture and a high degree of turnover inside these software sales orgs is misaligned expectations starting in that first interview process, right? People overselling their opportunities, overselling the resources, overselling the, um, you know, the ability to overperform or the, the fruits of what will happen when they overperform. People come in, they see that that's misaligned immediately. They're dissatisfied. They try to grind it out a little bit. Then they answer the phone. The next person calls. They ask the right questions themselves and probe it out, and they're gone inside of twelve months. They literally, yeah. see it all the time, and it's a it's a shame because you could have gotten the same person. They could have been twice as successful just if you set the right expectations at the beginning. So they went in with the right mindset of what they were going to get out of it and how they needed to prepare themselves to be successful. Yeah. That's literally by far the the number one thing of why reps leave and reps fail. I, I say quotes on that because it's not necessarily their failure. Yeah. It's, it's the business's failure in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I made this mistake early in my career, so I don't want to you know, tell you that I nailed this from day one. But what I realized is I want people to be honest with me so just be honest with people, because if you say everything's all sunshine and rainbows, they're not going to believe you, number one. And if they do believe you, that speaks to their intelligence, that they just buy into things at face value, right? So yeah. you know, what, I, what I hear from candidates when I'm brutally honest about the good, the bad, the ugly, the biggest response, whether or not they work with us, is this is a breath of fresh air, because I'm talking to a couple companies right now, and I'm not... People aren't being as honest with them, with me about what's not going as well as they'd like, right? And if you do that, it just goes to build trust of people yeah. and for the long run. I'm not in this to hit my number this quarter. I'm in this to impact lives over decades. So you got to think the long game here when you're doing some of these things. I'm curious about how you do that. That's just a good point, just to roll on a little bit. I'm a huge proponent of coaching my clients and in their interview processes to implement some sort of 
scare call towards the end of it, right? Where, okay, you've decided you really like this person. You have the intent to hire them. You've got their buy-in. They're basically sold on your organization and will likely accept an offer if you do give it to them. You sit down on a call, have a one-to-one and tell them all of the shitty things, all the skeletons in the closet, all of the bad and the ugly and the tough parts about the role and the expectations around it, just to get it all out there, you know? And in the interest of building trust and building camaraderie and making sure that they have the right expectation going in of how hard they're going to have to work or what resources they're going to have to take advantage of or what they're walking into in terms of a culture, et cetera. Have you done anything like that? Or how do you sort of set that expectation through the whole interview process or courtship process rather? That That's baked in. I mean, that's the good, the bad, the ugly conversation, right? That's what we yeah. do, right? I, you know, I tell people when, when we, you know, early in the process, this isn't even at the end of the process. This is early in the process. Uh, you know, hey, this is what it's going to take to be successful. Right. And, and this is the help that you're going to get, but this is the help that you're not going to get because we're a small team, we're a smaller company. You know, I know this is things that we're, we plan to do and plan to be able to help you with, but we're not there right now. So assume that that's not going to be there for at least a year. Right? And my mindset is under promise and over deliver. So that that's what I do in these conversations and just, and just say like, look, if, if this isn't for you, if you're not excited about it, no worries, completely understand. But if you are, if you are excited about it, giddy up, let's go. And you know, I've had people bow out of the process, go to a new company and six, six months later, message me saying you know, they got lied to and it was different than they signed up for. Right. So people, people are smarter than they've ever been to these things. And the companies yeah. that, not necessarily companies, because I think it's more people versus the companies that do this. The people that have this short-sighted approach, I mean, it just speaks to, in my opinion, them not being that great at their job. Because if you're really that good at your job, you know, just like if you're a sales rep, if you're really that great of a rep, you know, then you're going to have a fat pipeline and you're not going to be stressing out over every single deal that's in your pipeline, you're going to be working, working the method to your madness because you know, you have a machine, you're a machine. Yeah. The same thing for this. It's like, you gotta, you gotta think bigger picture here. And unfortunately, you know, not everyone does. Yeah, totally with you. Going back the the onion of this one more layer. What about the scalability of this and building your cultures? Have you had the opportunity to build, I guess, other figureheads underneath you, right? Like other layers of management that need to produce these same ideas and coach people through coaching people and building these frameworks. I feel like that's where it gets really tough when you can lead from the front a lot, but when it gets so big to scale, you got to implement some other strategies, maybe detail that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So we use a framework that helps with the scalability here. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And the framework is tell show, observe, coach, repeat. So I'll give you an example of that. You know, I'm going to tell you how to effectively handle that pricing objection. I'm going to talk you through it, maybe do a presentation around it. Then I'm going to show you, I'm going to walk the walk. So I'm going to role play with you, or I'm going to, I'm going to do some cold calls, or you're going to hear a recording of me doing this with live with customers. 
so you can see what good looks like. Right? That's the show part. And then I'm going to observe you do it. This is where a lot of people really struggle in terms of coaching and developing people is you know, they, everyone does the tell, right? 99% of people do the tell. 70% of people do somewhat of a show. Not for all things, but but I would say, you know, a small majority of people do do the observe where they watch that specific skill. Like I just told you about how to handle this price objection. Then I showed you here's an example for me. Now I'm gonna, now over the next week, we're gonna listen to five calls where I'm gonna listen to you handle that exact objection and I'm gonna coach you on that. And then repeat, right? If I need to show you again, I will do that. And then I'm gonna observe you again. And then I'm gonna watch you implement my feedback and coach you. So we do that at the rep level. But to answer your question about developing figureheads, because I have leaders that roll up to me, the same that same philosophy scales for anything. So for example, for my leaders, you know, I do that same mindset of hey, teaching them how to run a training for their team, right? How to effectively manage the 60 minutes, setting you know, a clear upfront contract for the meeting, executing the agenda, driving engagement, making sure there's actionable takeaways, right? And I tell them, you know, I do an enablement for them. I tell them, then I have them observe me doing an enablement session so they can see me in action. Then I watch them and we coach and repeat. Same thing, you're running effective one-on-ones, running forecast skills, you name it. Whatever the skill is, you can run this framework on it. The discipline comes into you communicating that framework to everybody and sticking to it and being able to parse out the different parts of the role. And that's it's, it's easier said than done because you really need to take a step back from the business and say, all right, so what does it take to be a world-class sales leader? What does it take to be a world-class frontline customer success leader, right? And outlining all of those things and then having questions built in against each of those different areas to help you assess them on an ongoing basis and continue to coach them, right? Leaders want to get coached just as much, if not even more than reps, frontline managers, in my opinion, are the keys to unlocking growth in businesses. And you're the highest leverage resource you have in a business, but in many cases, they're the least invested in people in the business. So that's how I like to think about that framework and how that impacts on the scalability. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's chunk stuff. To close us out here a little bit, Justin, someone that's struggling with the sales culture, someone that's walked into a, a new business or a new team that needs to make some modifications to it, someone that's building one from scratch, what are some of the actionable insights that you would tell this person that they could do today, right, to start turning something around into a high-performing engine like you've done for people that are happy and excited to be at work every day? Yeah, it, this is huge because not every environment is going to be all shine and rainbows. You're going to walk into some tough situations. I have myself. And the first question you got to ask yourself when you run into those situations is what do I stand for? And so I encourage people to take time to literally get away from the technology, 
go to a park for a day, get away for a weekend and write down what are my values as a leader? If I'm designing an organization, what are my non-negotiables? And why are my non-negotiables? And keep it as simple as possible. Right? And then do that first. And secondly, have the conversations as needed with your boss. If you have to make wholesale changes to the org, it's really important that you communicate that with your leadership so you don't you know, get in hot water and let them know, hey, it's might get worse before it gets better, but that's what I have to do to build this thing right. And then take action. You rip the bandaid off. If it's a struggling team, you got to make changes quickly or you're not going to be there long. Right? If it's a team that's doing well, that's a very different approach. But that's how I would think about, if that's it, I would think about a struggling team or a team that you might be like trying to turn around or rebuild to, to get it into a high-performing culture. You know, it's not easy, but it's, it's worth it once you get to the other side. Yeah, so it's definitely no easy feat. And I don't think anyone's got it totally perfectly figured out. It's an evolution, but you've clearly done tremendously well with the Justin. So I appreciate you sharing some of the insights. And I think a lot of people can probably take some good tidbits away from this that can really be implemented right now into their own organizations. Thank you for joining us. Thank you everyone for listening into another episode of the GTM Kickback. Where can they find you? What can they find you for, Justin? I know you're, you're quite big and quite funny on LinkedIn. So absolutely recommend to follow if that's fine with you. But go ahead, anything we can plug in here, please. Yeah, find me at you know, LinkedIn. My, my email address is justin at fitgrid.com. If you want to shoot me a note directly, a lot of times on LinkedIn, I'm talking about you know, sales, leadership, you know, culture, mindset, all that good stuff. So yeah, no, I appreciate, I really appreciate you having me on the show. You know, I appreciate um, the opportunity. And if anyone has any follow-up questions, I'm, I'm happy to chat. I think you're back. Good man. All right. Thanks, Justin. Thanks everyone.